This morning, we are looking at a story in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Uh, You can find that if you've got your Bibles with you. Uh, You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. It'll be on your screen in front of you uh, if you're with us online. John 2, 13 through 22, before we read, uh, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is good to once again gather together here in this place to open up this book, your word, and to just listen and let it work on us. Holy Spirit, as you do what you do in our hearts, we pray that we would be open, that you would make us malleable so that we we might be able to hear whatever it is you have to say to us today, even if if it might be difficult. Help us to hear, really hear, so that you can make us who you want us to be. And that's more like Jesus. So come Holy Spirit and do what you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John 2, starting at verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, we'll talk about that in a little bit, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area. Picture it in your mind. Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove you have authority to do all this? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. We will go that far. So, he mad. You know, we never want to become too comfortable with what we read in the Bible. Because once we think we've got it all figured out, like all the lines are straight and all the pieces of the puzzle sort of fit in the right right places, we've got it all figured out, then you flip the page to the next chapter and it all is like gets messed up again. (laughs) Right? Because this book is hard. It's an adult book written for adults. And it's not black and white. We want it to be black and white. We think it's black and white. Some of us live as if it's black and white, but it's regularly gray. Take Take this story, for instance. Jesus is hopping mad. He is flipping out. He is angry. 
He is so, so mad. And we don't like angry Jesus, do we? Do we like, does anybody like angry Jesus? Like, we like our Jesus healing people. We like our Jesus feeding people, like multiplying stuff out of nowhere and feeding all kinds of people. That's the Jesus we want. We like our Jesus smiling and sitting on the ground with our kids on his lap. You've seen those pictures, right? That's what we like. We like our Jesus calming the storm. We don't like our Jesus making a storm. We don't know what to do with an angry Jesus. A long time ago when I preached on this story as told by Mark, uh, I did something. I went and I googled angry Jesus and I put some pictures up on screen. I'm not going to do that now, but I'm going to tell you how that went because it, I think it's interesting. Uh, turns out, you, you can't, most people don't know what to do with an angry Jesus. Like you find all kinds of different artist renderings for all kinds of different things that Jesus did. Jesus on the cross is probably the number one one. And then Jesus with the little children. You got Jesus at his baptism with the dove and all that whole business. You've got Jesus healing people, all done by famous artists. Some of them really old, some of them current, but you can find that all over the place. But you can't really find much about Jesus clearing the temple. There's just not that much out there. If you do a search on angry Jesus, it's interesting what you find. Like there's not a lot of old paintings at all. Uh, And the current ones are so messed up theologically that there's no way I would put them up on a screen for you to see. If you search angry Jesus, you find a cartoon of big muscular Jesus hanging on the cross, mad, and he's flexing like this, and he breaks the cross. It's so theologically messed up. I can't believe I just told you about that. So when you look for pictures of angry Jesus, artist renderings, you just can't find. And the ones you do find are really tamed down. Like, he doesn't look very mad at all. He's just kind of got a stoic look on his face or an impassive look on his face. So even the most creative people in the world, even the most creative people on the planet, artists, have no idea what to do with an angry Jesus. Have you ever heard a song about angry Jesus? You heard a hymn about Jesus clearing the temple? They don't exist because we don't know what to do. What's up with Jesus' anger in this story? What does Jesus' anger reveal about human beings? What does Jesus' anger reveal about the religious systems that we build? What does Jesus' anger reveal about God? So I'm going to offer some suggestions. I hope they're good ones. I think they will be. Maybe one of them will be good. I don't know. Maybe there's some truth to all of them. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. I think they're good. And I think maybe if we all sat around and answered those questions together, we could brainstorm a whole bunch of really good ideas that I think might be instructive, but I'm just going to share them because it's my job. Hope you're okay with that. So here's where I'm going to start. I think Jesus is so angry because the religious leaders of his time distorted what it meant to be in a relationship with God. They made the faith something it was never intended to be. And he was hopping mad about it. 
Let me explain what I mean. John tells us that it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Now, the Jewish Passover is the biggest celebration of the year for Jews. Think our Easter or our Christmas. Like, that's how big it was. It was big. During Passover, it's estimated that an extra 2.5 million pilgrims from all over the world would have descended on Jerusalem and been there, right? There would have been all kinds of animals, cattle, sheep, doves, mentions those. Have you ever been to a rodeo? Anyone? Good. It would have looked and smelled a lot like that in Jerusalem, like, like a big giant rodeo, okay? Their celebration would have sort of it would have provided a huge adrenaline rush for everyone there. It was like the city was hopped up on something, right? So it would have been buzzing big time. Now, during Passover, what were the Jews celebrating? They were celebrating their liberation, the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt, right? The most awesome event in the history of Israel. From, from bondage to liberation, from slavery to freedom, right? Pillar of cloud, you know the story? If you don't know the story, go read it. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, the, the parting of the Red Sea that allows the people to, to go through on dry ground. God made a sea into a highway, right? They're celebrating that, all of it. And as part of the celebration, people would bring their animals, to be sacrificed in the temple as a part of worship, right? They'd bring them there between three and five in the afternoon. And the entire time, what would they be doing? They would be rehearsing the story of God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, the Exodus, right? Their freedom from slavery. Now, something we have to understand about the system that was set up in Jerusalem at the time. There were several markets outside of the temple, surrounding the temple area, where people could come by animals, presumably, so that they could then bring them inside the temple in order to sacrifice them to God. Now, these markets were, were controlled by a, by a group of Pharisees, by a group uh, called the Sanhedrin, right? So these were now separate markets from the market that was then found inside the temple. The one inside the temple was controlled by, by a guy named Caiaphas, the high priest. And his market was now in direct competition with the other markets on the outside, right? So here's where it gets a little bit nasty. Caiaphas, the high priest, had this kind of power. He declared that all of the animals bought outside of the temple were unclean, unfit for sacrifice inside the temple, which meant that people could only buy their animals from his market. And you might imagine what he did with the prices in his market. Sometimes he would jack up the prices to 25 times what they could spend on the outside. Anybody like paying $3 and some odd cents for gas? Anybody like that? It used to be around $2 and we would complain about that. We didn't like that very much, right? But we would take that today. Two bucks a gallon sounds great. Take that times 25, pay 50 bucks a gallon. How many of us are riding our bikes everywhere we go, right? We get priced out of the market just like 
that. So what we have here is price gouging at its worst. What we have here is a monopoly, right? But here's, here's the result. What do you think the result is? The result is easy to see, right? It means that it was nearly impossible for women, the poor, the oppressed, the sick, the lame, it was nearly impossible for these outsiders to buy animals fit for sacrifice, to go into the temple and worship like they were told they needed to worship. The system of rules that they had set up, Caiaphas, money changers, made it pretty much impossible for the marginalized to participate in worship. No wonder Jesus flipped his lid. No wonder he got hopping mad. Here they are. What are they doing? They're celebrating liberation from slavery. And the system that they set up was now enslaving people. The system they set up wound up keeping the least and the lost outside just so that those who had power and privilege could line their own pockets. No wonder in the Gospel of Mark, where we're talking about this story, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of robbers. Right? So the message they were sending was, was that God wants to be in a relationship only with those who already have power, only with those who have privilege. And Jesus is mad. They'd set up a system that pushed people out. They made faith into something it was never intended to be. And he gets hopping mad about it. I think that any time religious systems have their arms out like this to keep people at arm's length or to keep people at worst outside rather than wide open and embrace for all to come inside to worship, I think Jesus gets hopping mad. I think he gets upset. I think it breaks his heart. No wonder he started flipping tables. Makes sense. That's the first thing. Here's the next thing. I think Jesus is angry because he's, he's just fed up. He's fed up with the status quo. Here he is. He's standing with a bunch of other religious people. Religious leaders are there. And not one of them had the guts and the courage to stand up and call it out. To stand up for what is right. No one there was seeking justice for the people who needed it the most. No one. They were just doing things the way they did things because that's the way you do things. That's kind of how it is. It's the system we grew up with. It's the system we inherited. It's the system we have. So it's the system we're going to go with. These were really good people who generally wanted really good things for themselves and their city. These are people who were really good people who knew the scriptures, knew them well. Some of them were actually experts in the scriptures. But out of all of these good people, not one of them was willing to stand up. Not one of them was willing to think carefully about what they were doing and how they were doing it, who they were welcoming, who they were pushing aside, who they were, who they were ignoring, who they were pushing away. Right? They just do it. That's just the way it is. 
It's the system we've been given. That's just how it is. It's fine. Jesus sees the people of God as lukewarm, and it makes him white hot. So he starts flipping tables. He's making a scene. He's staging a demonstration. He's engaged with his body in active protest against the system. That's what this was. It was a protest. And his intense anger reminds us what it means to be the people of God. His intense anger reminds us that our faith, what we're involved in here, is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. If the people of God are just willing to sit back and settle for mediocrity, well, Jesus is going to sound the alarm at some point. That's why I love what we get to do here. Right? We're starting a new thing. After eight years, it still feels like we're a new church. And even now that we've gone through a pandemic and all the stuff that's happening in the world, now for sure it feels like we're starting over again. Does it kind of feel that way? For those of you who've been with us for really long, does it feel like we're, we kind of got to start over again? I'm kind of excited about that because we don't have to settle for mediocrity. We don't have to settle. We don't have to do things the way things have always been done because that's just the way they've always been done. We can choose to do things differently. We can choose to listen to our young ones. We can choose to be, we don't have to settle. We can actually build a community that doesn't have its arms out like this, pushing people and holding people out. We can build a community that has its arms wide open that says, if you want to come in here, you welcome here. You belong. We can live into the core value that we've had from the beginning, unconditional acceptance. Everyone belongs. Come on in. You're welcome here. We can build a different community. Jesus staged a protest. What would it be like if a church filled with lily white people, most of us, showed up at a Black Lives Matter march, a nonviolent march, putting our bodies on the line for people in this world who are telling us we need help. It's not working. The system's rigged. What would it be like? What would it be like for us to start telling the history of our nation from the perspective of those who have been historically oppressed? What would it be like? Like, we shouldn't be afraid to do that. Do you know what this book is? It's the Bible. You know that. But do you know what it is? It's history told from the perspective of those who have been historically enslaved and oppressed. And we hold it up and we say, this is God's word. Yes. We should not be afraid. In fact, that should be our thing. Because it is our thing. So that should, we don't have to be. We don't have to, we don't have to settle for status quo. We don't have to settle for the way things have always been because that's the way they've always been. We can stage a protest. We can be different. We can decide enough is enough. I think he was mad because of the status quo. Nobody willing to stand up. So he's like, somebody's got to do something. Where am I at here? Sorry, I got a little worked up there. 
Um, here's the last thing. Um, I think Jesus was so mad because his love was so deep. He's so angry because his love was so deep. It seems to me that Jesus' anger is just a manifestation of a broken heart. Right? He's not mad just to be mad. That's not what he's doing here. He's mad because his heart is broken. He's mad because he sees a fruitless commitment to the status quo. He's mad because he sees the wasted potential of the potent people of God, and he loves them enough to point it out to them, to say, it's got to change. He's mad because his love is so deep. When I was in high school, I did something I wasn't supposed to do. I was a junior. Summer before my junior year, I made a mistake, a huge mistake. I spent the night at a friend's house with some other friends, and my parents trusted me to do that. Thank you for trusting me, Mom and Dad. Well, we decided it would be a good idea about 1 o'clock in the morning because we wanted to impress the girls. That's what we were doing. Uh, we would go to the Johnston Little League baseball fields, and we would break into the concession stand because we wanted all the candy. Because who doesn't want a big candy stash for free? So we went in there. What we didn't know, because it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere at the time. It was like surrounded by trees. You couldn't really see in there from the roads. So we we're like, no big deal. But the people who, who ran the place were really smart. They put in there an, an alarm system, a silent one that would alert the authorities. Ooh. So we took the candy, got out, went in our car, and, and a police officer came by, lights rolling. We stopped and, get out of the car, please. And we're like, mm, okay. So we get out, they find the candy in the car, they arrest us, they bring us to the police station. My dad gets a call about three in the morning-ish to come pick up his son Aaron at the police station. I will never forget what it was like to see my dad walk into that building. His face was so mad. Like my life was in danger mad. <laughs> Never seen him like that. Haven't seen him that way since. We got into the car and we started driving away and we got about halfway out of the parking lot. He stopped the car because he couldn't drive. He was so mad. And then he just started to weep. He just started to weep. He didn't yell. didn't raise his voice. I didn't have a dad who hit me. He just started to weep because he was so mad, because his heart was so broken, and because he saw me, and he knew my potential, and he knew that this wasn't it. I think that's what's going on here. So Jesus, after this whole thing went down, the the religious authorities, the really smart people, the people who had power, they come up to Jesus and they're like, show us your badge, bro. Let us know, who do you think you are? 
Show us a sign. Show us some miraculous thing so that we know you have the authority to do this. They didn't get it. Clearly they didn't get it. And I wonder if Jesus walked out of the temple that day, found a place to be alone like he often did, and I wonder if he dropped to his knees, and I wonder if he just wept. I wonder if he wept because his heart was broken. I wonder if he wept because he had the realization, he learned something that day. His intense, violent outbreak of anger didn't transform anybody. And I wonder if he made a decision to just do things differently that day, to embody the love of God in different ways, ways that were sure to transform the hearts of people. Because this is chapter two of John's story. Think about the way Jesus did what Jesus did from here on out. Instead of a a violent outburst of anger, what did he do? Just healed people. Instead of an angry outburst, he taught people. Instead of an angry outburst, he welcomed those nobody else would welcome. Instead of an angry outburst, he served people. Instead of an angry outburst, he washed people's feet. Instead of anger, he gives, he multiplies, he provides, he comforts. They want signs? Oh, there would be plenty of signs. They're all over John's gospel including the ultimate sign of God's love. After three years of giving them all the signs any of them would ever or should ever need to understand the overwhelming awesomeness of God's love, he made the ultimate demonstration in giving up his life with his arms stretched wide on the cross. So this is a hard one. It's a difficult story. We don't like angry Jesus. It's always been hard to understand, but my guess is that, my guess is we're on to something. That whenever our faith becomes something that it was never intended to be, I think it makes God mad. Like, I don't think life is in danger mad. I think it makes God mad. I think it breaks the heart. Of God. Whenever we set up a system that doesn't welcome people, that pushes people aside, that in some ways actively oppresses people spiritually and physically, I think God gets upset. Whenever we commit to being lukewarm, God gets white hot. Wasted potential for God is like, what are you doing? You've been created for so much more than this. But we all know why, right? because God's love for us is so deep. It's because God's love for the world is so deep. So deep, in fact, that he became one with us by becoming one of us to show us exactly what God looks like, to show us exactly what it means to be a human being. And then he gave up his life on the cross to show us what love really looks like, self-sacrificing self-giving love. Oh, his love is so deep. 
The only question for us is, will we follow him? Let's pray.